0: You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Rick Fry. Well, good morning, church family. Let me welcome you on this Father's Day, and happy Father's Day to all you dads, and uh, hopefully you're going to have a great time together with your family. This morning, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians, we're continuing our series on Above and Beyond as we're walking through this incredible book. And we're in the third chapter today, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 18 all the way over to chapter 4, verse 1. While you're finding Colossians, let me just say we had an incredible week this past week at Vacation Bible School. I think our highest attendance on Tuesday was like 563. We had, I believe, somewhere around 21 that uh, were wanting to know how to make Christ the boss of their life, which that's exciting. But are you ready for this? Our students raised $12,000 for missions. Can you believe that? Man, give the Lord a hand. They did a fantastic job, and so we praise the Lord for that. We're getting ready to head out uh, tomorrow for False Creek, 250 plus I think we got going, so it's going to be a great week. It's going to be hot, but we're going to have a great time, so you be praying that God will just speak to hearts and lives will be changed. In the book of Colossians, in this third chapter, what Paul is doing, Paul is actually writing to us, reminding us that if Jesus Christ is really and truly Lord of your life, then he is going to be Lord of all of your vital relationships. In other words, it's not like walking through a line going, well, I'm going to take this and I'm going to bypass that. I'll take this and I'll bypass that. If he is truly the Lord of your life, then he is going to be the Lord over all of your relationships. One of the things that he does in this first part of this text is he really addresses husbands and wives. Now you may be sitting this morning. You may be single today, and you may think, "Well, how in the world does this apply to me?" Well, first of all, let me remind you that one of these days, probably you're going to, want to get married. And what I hope and pray will happen is that you're going to become what this text talks about—that you're going to have a godly home. That you're going to be a wife that certainly will submit to the spiritual leadership of her husband. But as a husband, you're going to love your wife as Christ loved the church. When you look at this text, let me remind you, there's submission on both sides. Because I'm convinced the wife really and truly can't submit and do what she's supposed to do unless the husband is submitting to the lordship of Christ and loving her like Christ loved the church. So he deals with the relationship of husband and wife, but he's going to do a relationship with kids, and he deals also with the relationship that we have with employer and employees. One of the things that I have discovered in life is it probably the shallowest arena to live the Christian life is among those who know you the very best. You want to know all of my shortcomings? You you want to know all of my failures? You want to know all the things that I mess up in? Then talk to Diane. Talk to my kids. Talk to my staff. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that down there. I'll take care of you this week, Brandon. They'll tell you, I don't walk on water. I can barely swim at times, to be honest with you. And I want you to realize that that's true of all of us. None of us are perfect. None of us are the perfect husband. None of us are the perfect wife. We're certainly not the perfect child. But what I will tell you is that those who know you the best know everything about you. And what Paul is saying is that in order to really live out your Christianity, for it to really be legitimate, for it to be authentic, for it to be real, there must be this total transformative sense of who you are. Because the Lordship of Jesus Christ, if it's going to be true and vital in all of your relationships, then it must be comprehensive. It cannot be compartmentalized. It has to be real. So Paul, in this passage, deals with how your relationship and the Lordship of Jesus Christ is vital in all of your relationships. First of all, he says, let's talk about marriage. And so he says, the Lordship of Christ is going to be powerful and effective in your marriage, but first of all, he speaks to wives, and then he speaks to husbands. But the comprehensive charge that he gives to us is to the role of the wife and the role of the husband is to present this unbelievable composite portrait, if you will, of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In other words, your marriage and my marriage should tell the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it helps you and I to understand that when he says to the wife, submit, and he says to the husband, be loving, it is a portrait, don't miss this, of what it is to come to a relationship with Christ. That's why marriage and home and family has always been this portrait, if you will, of who we are in Christ and how to have this incredible relationship. So let's look at verse 18. First of all, address addresses wives. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, you've got to go back and attach this to verse 17. Look at it. He says, And whatever you do, in word and in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what is this telling us? It says that if Jesus Christ is really and truly the Lord of your life, then your role as a wife is to submit to the spiritual leadership of your husband. In other words, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've been saved, if you've been born again, The Bible says that you as a wife are going to be held accountable by a holy God of how you submit to that spiritual leadership of your husband. But I want to remind you that this submission does not mean inferiority. Go back and look at Christ. If you look at the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus is not any less God than God the Father. There is an orderly execution of the program of redemption. There is submission, there's subordination in the Godhead. So submission doesn't mean that you don't have an opinion. Submission does not mean that you don't speak up. Submission doesn't mean that you don't share your thoughts. Submission doesn't mean that you are now being treated as though that you're like carpet and you're to be walked upon. That's not what it means. What it does mean is that there is no competition For the spiritual leadership of the home. Now, I want you to notice this little phrase in the text. He says, "As is fitting for the Lord." What Paul means in that little phrase, he's saying that there are no moral limits in your submission. In other words, what 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 he's saying is your submission is only to the Lord. Did you catch that? It means that you and I are not obligated, and you're certainly not obligated to follow your husband. If what he's telling you to do conflicts with the word of God. for If he's telling you to lie, we know that's against the word of God and you shouldn't do that. So there has some limitations here. The qualification for submission has to do with the written will and the word of God. So each of us, even the man and the wife, we, we submit, we function in this motivation, if you will, and this encouragement to exercise the role that God has given to us when we obey the word of, of the word of God. So when he talks about these roles and he talks about the wife's responsibilities, don't miss this, you cannot talk about her responsibility apart from the husband's responsibility. You say, why is that? Because his responsibility tempers how far he goes in being the spiritual leader of his home. It is the attitude, listen to me, that encourages and for the submission of the home. Now, again, I'm not saying that you're off the hook at all whatsoever whatsoever. And you shouldn't submit because he's not functioning in the role that he should function in. One of the things you've got to remember, what did he say? He said, no, you do this as what? Unto the Lord. So in submission, and even though he may not be quite living up to what he should be doing, remember you're doing this as unto the Lord. However, it is the functioning the way that God intended for him to function, I believe, that leads to helping him become all that God wants him to be. And can I just tell you something? Listen, let me make this statement to you. I don't know a, a, a woman, a wife that is literally in her right mind who would not want to submit if she had a husband who is truly loving her like Christ loved the church. I, I don't know why she wouldn't. Because she's going to be loved and cared for and nurtured in such a way that it makes it easy for her to submit to what God is calling her to do. Because the man is doing and functioning the way that he should. So let's look at what he says to husbands. Look at verse 19. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You've got to go back to the commentary of Ephesians chapter 5 where he goes into more detail about what this love is like. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, notice, as Christ loved the church. Did you catch that? Guys, listen to me. Your love for your wife does not come from a self-serving place. It doesn't come from there. This is to open up the word of God. How did Christ love the church? How did he give himself up for it? Having cleansed her by the washing of water, by the word of God. Jesus did not love the church primarily from position. He loved it from compassion. And Paul says that if you're going to be the spiritual leader of your home and truly Be what God wants you. You don't love your wife in any old kind of way. He says you love her as a follower of Jesus Christ the way that Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? He loved the church by sacrificing his life, by giving his life. There is grace and mercy and tenderness. Doesn't mean that when you are loving her that there is this total dominance Does it mean that you treat her in an unfair way? How does Christ love you today? He loves you with mercy. He loves you with grace. And yet I do believe that implicit in this command to love your wife as Christ loved the church is, to be honest with you, our own neediness. You know why? Because I cannot love Diane the way that God wants me to love her apart from Jesus Christ. I can't be to her what I need to be unless I'm submitting to his lordship, unless I'm saying, God, I need your help and your guidance. You know why? Because all of us are human, and we all have imperfections, and we all have flaws, and we all make bad choices at times. So somewhere in there, you've got to be willing to submit to the lordship of Christ. Say, God, help me to love her like you love the body of Christ. And that's what he's teaching us. So my job as a husband is not to make Diane submit to me, But what my command is to do is to lead not as a dictator or as a tyrant. Listen to me. It is to lead by holy character. Did you hear what I said? It is to lead by holy character. And that holy character is that Christ-like character. Now, notice this line in the text. And do not be harsh with them. The word harsh actually is translated "bitter." And what he's doing in this text, he's underscoring here uh, that this authoritarianism, this dominance literally can drain the very life out of people. I've been around for a while. I have sat and listened to husbands and wives and counseling and all the problems and all the issues that go on in marriages. And, and I'm just going to be as honest as I am. And I'm, I'm talking about me too because sometimes I can be a knucklehead just like you can be. But I've seen some knuckleheaded men who have been so insecure, highly threatened, highly controlled, literally sucked the very life out of their wife. That's not the way God commanded us to love them. If we look at what the Word says, that as a husband, I'm to love her, I'm to nurture her, I'm to cherish her. Doesn't mean that I disregard her. Doesn't mean that I disrespect her. Why? Because in a sense, she is you. You remember, when you get married, you cease to be two and you become what? One. You are one in Christ. So if you really want to get real and transparent, what Paul is saying is the way that you treat her is the way you really think about yourself. What does he say? So love her. So what he's saying here in this text is that this mature marriage one that is growing, one is becoming all that God wants it to be. The husband treats his wife with compassion and care, and his wife responds now with this willing submission to the spiritual leadership. It's easy. It works so well when all are submitting. So remember, you do this together. I told Diane the other day as I was working on this message, I said, I'll be honest with you, we we will be married in December 48 years, and, and I will tell you, I want my wife, I want my marriage to tell the truth about who we both love supremely, and that is Jesus Christ. That's what I want my grandkids to see. That's what I want my friends to see. That's what I want my family to see. That's what I want people who don't know. The Lordship of Jesus Christ has to reign supremely in all of our relationships. And the first thing he says is marriage. Secondly, he says, what about our kids? Now, let me just be honest with you. Nobody can sanctify you any faster than your kids. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's amazing how godly and wise all of a sudden one day they become because they look at you when they're younger like you don't know anything. You know what you're talking about. You don't have any common sense. And all of a sudden when they get married and then they have their own kids, it's like they look at you like, man, mom and dad, you became wise overnight. What happened? I mean, it's just part of life. And so they look at parents and they look at mom and they look at dad and go, wow. Because all of a sudden they begin to realize that parenting is a challenge. So what Paul does, first of all, he addresses children. And what he says is, if you are a young person, listen to me, and you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, here's your responsibility. Look at verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. There is no exceptional clause in here you're to obey. Let me tell you what scares me to death today. In the world that we are living in today, in the culture that we are living in today, this is what I believe we see. We are heavy on culture and we are light on truth. Sure what I said? The day and the time that we're living in, there, never before in my life has I seen the home and the family and Motherhood and fatherhood and children are under attack. We are so heavy on culture. We are light on truth. And our problem is is that while the culture is adverse to authority, it doesn't like authority. Everything today has to be in this right consensus. Nobody ought to have an opinion, and certainly you shouldn't speak that opinion. And today, obedience is unpopular, so in other words, you shouldn't even use it. So what we have happening today, we've got six, probably even five, five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old kids basically telling their parents what to do. Now, I know and you know that obedience and discipline can be misused. We know that. But we also know that if it's done biblically the right way, God blesses it. What God does in Scripture, God associates disobedience with rebellion. Obedience, hear me church Obedience reflects God's design for order in the home And the structure of society today Chances are if kids are not minding in the home They are not going to have respect for authority outside of the home The best place to build that into your children Is in the home relationship One of the things I've discovered oftentimes is kids want what they run from As I said I've been around for a while And oftentimes, what I've discovered with young people is that they desire someone to love them enough, to have enough courage to look them in the eye and say no. I think one of the most important words that your children will ever learn, which I believe is a positive word in the English language, is no. Now you say, what do you mean by that? Because if they can learn to say no to yourself, then you're free to probably do what you are called and supposed to do. Obedience is a big deal. Remember what Paul writes in Ephesians 6.1? He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obedience brings pleasure to God. But then in verse 21, he addresses fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now let me just say, dads, this is where you and I set the table for the home. It is our responsibility to create such an environment in the home to encourage our kids to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, this does not exclude mothers. You have as much responsibility as the man does, but what I have discovered is that every child has probably two primary, if you will, emotional needs. They have the need for nurturing and tenderness and warmth and care, That role is not exclusively for the mom, but to be honest with you, primarily that's one of the things that moms and mothers do. Every child also has a need for discipline and denial and direction. That role is not exclusively for the dad, but primarily that's one that he does. So what happens is, as a dad, you and I become the gatekeeper, listen to me, for the direction of the home and the family. I want you to underline that little word provoke for a moment. Because basically what it means is don't irritate them. Don't pick on them. Don't continue to tear them down. Now listen to me. In these 52 years that I have pastored, I have sat with adults that have now carried baggage into their life from their childhood because they were told by mom and dad, you have no worth, you're no val- you have no value, you're no good, you're never gonna make it in life. And I've seen parents literally just rip the heart and the soul out of their kids. And now as adults, sometimes in their 20s and 30s and 40s and even 50s, they still carry that baggage of self-worth and value. So I want to remind, if you're sitting here today and that's happened to you, your worth and your value is wrapped up in your relationship with Jesus Christ, amen? Don't ever forget that. But it's a challenge to you and I as parents today. And that challenge, listen, listen to me, is not to drain the confidence out of our children. And there are times as parents, you and I have to choose our battles and I will tell you where I believe that every parent needs to go to the mat when it comes to character. That is so critical. That's where you wage the war. And sometimes you gotta pick the battle. Sometimes it's like, don't lose sleep and don't get your whole family torn up over hair, amen? I wish I had more of it, but Anyway. But I've seen I've seen families just go to war over hair. And, and what I'm saying is sometimes you just gotta understand and pick your battles. Paul is saying to parents, listen, don't always look to say no, but also look for opportunities to say yes. You say, Why is that? Because when you do say no, you are not withdrawing more than you have deposited. So critical. So he says, the Lordship of Christ needs to be vital in your marriage, your home, and your family. It must be vital with your kids. And last of all, he says, on my job. Look at verses 22 through 24. Here he talks about servants and employees. He says, slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartedly, as for the Lord and not for man. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Now I want you to circle that word slave because actually it's translated bond servant. Typically a bond servant would sign a contract for seven years. And so they would be in in a bond servant role to a master for seven years. At the end of that seven years and they would be paid whatever was due to them. Paul, as he's writing this, is writing this with that scenario of being a slave. And he says, you may be in a situation where you are a slave. I want you to know that you need to obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. So as he writes this, you may look at this and he says, well, what does that really mean? He's reminding them that that master does not have ultimate ownership of you. You may think that he does, and he may think that he does, but he does not control your destiny. God does. So how do you take that and relate it to where you and I are today? Well, what Paul says is, listen, you you may be in a situation where you may be on a job right now that you can't stand. You don't like the job, but you're there. Nothing else has opened up. You've prayed for it, but the doors seem to be closed. Listen to me. What I want to do is to encourage you this morning as a follower of Jesus Christ, don't mail it in. Don't just look as, well, I'm just going to barely do what I have to do to, to get by. Why? Because you are being tested right now in that position, in that job, relating to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You give 100% even though you know that this isn't a fit, even though you know that it's hard. Why? Listen to me. Because you are looking past that situation or those circumstances, understanding that God has placed you there for a reason, for a season, and God hasn't moved you right now. Look at verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartedly as for the Lord and not for men. So in other words, doing that job Even though it's hard and even though it's difficult, you do that job as unto the Lord, knowing that God placed you there. Now, why did he place you there? I don't know, but I guarantee you, if you're there, you're there to be salt, you're there to be light, you're there to make a difference, you're there to let others see Christ in your life. What this verse is telling us is that when you are aware of God's character and presence, it enhances the dignity of your work. Why? Because you're looking past all of the circumstances and you're looking at a great, mighty God who wants to use you. So there's never an excuse for you and I as a believer not to do what is right when it comes to where we work and how we serve. Yes, it's hard. Yes, they may be mistreating you. But in the name of Jesus Christ, do what is right. Look at what verse 24 says. And you will receive the inheritance as your reward. God sees that you're suffering. God knows you're going through a hard time. He will honor your faithful labor. He'll do it. But then he addresses masters, those of us who may employ Look at verse 25. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality, he says. Masters treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Just because, listen, that you may have a position of power does not mean that you are God. With that, hear me, when you have the responsibility of being over a group of people and there are people who are working for you, It is a position of authority, but with that authority comes accountability. Don't forget that. If you want to go back and read and walk through the Word of God, you will discover that the only reason why we are given power or authority is to bless and empower others. So the Lordship of Jesus Christ is given so that it has this sense of touching everything. Every relationship that you and I have. And the question is not ultimately are you happy? Are you satisfied? The ultimate question is in what you're doing, how you're loving your family, how you're loving your kids, how you're working on your job is am I honoring the Savior? Am I growing? Am I maturing? Am I moving forward? Do I look more like Jesus in my marriage? Do I look more like Jesus with my kids? Do I look more like Jesus Christ on my job? You know why? Because listen to me, listen to me. It's not that your career is at stake. But what is at stake is the testimony of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. I know you've heard this expression, sometimes the only Jesus people see are the Jesus they see in you. And the question is, before your family, before your kids, before the people that you work with, or before your employees, do you live such a life that brings glory and honor to the kingdom of God? And maybe if it's hard and it's difficult, they see you loving Jesus. They see you in hard times praising Him. And maybe out of those hard, difficult times, they're gonna look at you one day and say, you know what, you got something I don't have. I don't know how you went through this hard time. I don't know how you went through this loss. I don't know how you went through this difficulty, but I've watched you, and you got something that I don't have, and God opens the door for you to share about Jesus, your Savior. Every vital relationship is to be covered under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And what is at stake is your testimony to a watching world. May they see Jesus in you. May they see Jesus in me so that one day they come to know him. Would you stand every head bowed, every eye closed? Father, I come to you this morning and I thank you for, again, just Paul's writings it really gets down to where the rubber meets the road. It talks about us as the role of wives and husbands and children and even to employees and employers. And it reminds us that all of these relationships are so vital and so critical when it comes to being a portrait of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there's never a moment, there's never a time that my life doesn't reflect you. So, Father, I pray that you'll help us to live a life that others can see Christ in us. Help me to be the husband, the father, the grandfather that will always point my family to Jesus. Forgive me when I become a knucklehead, when I become selfish. Help me to set the table for my family for this church to know there is so much more to life than just simply showing up but there is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that shines to a hurting world that's looking for answers in all the wrong places may they find the hope in you because they see the prince of peace who lives in all of our lives I pray that in Jesus strong and powerful name Amen